Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now, that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Morning with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And now I'm on Instagram. Yes, lots of cool pictures. If you tag me in a photo, you might win a prize. So I definitely encourage you to follow or tag or tweet anything you want to do so that you can uh, increase your chances of maybe winning something. You guys know who listen to me, I give a lot of things away. Today I'll be giving away a copy of the book, Living on a Dollar a Day. So you definitely have to follow or become a fan on Facebook to, to win that book. Um, but I want to say thank you to you, all the listeners, almost close to a million downloads, past 890,000 downloads of the podcast. Like, Thank you. I am honored that you are willing to listen to my voice and the guests that I have on, and hopefully you have enjoyed the shows and shared them, and also just learned some new things that maybe you didn't know before. Well, today, hopefully you will learn some more, and I have two wonderful guests on. One is an author, activist, lawyer, uh, world traveler, works with the Dalai Lama, I don't know when he sleeps. I mentioned to him before he got on the show. Um, he's also a parent. Mm. And so uh, welcome, Thomas Nazario. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Also, a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer. Um, she won a Pulitzer in 2007 for a Mother's Journey feature photo. Uh, it was a series of photos over a course of a year about a boy uh, at the age of 10 who was battling cancer. Uh, She was also a Pulitzer Prize finalist uh, last year, 2013. Her name is Renee C. Byer. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for coming on today. Uh, Thomas and Renee, uh, working together, created a fabulous, amazing, beautiful book called Living on a Dollar a Day. And they go all over the globe uh, documenting... um, writing and uh, photography of the world's poor. And we're going to talk today about who the world's poor are, where they are, how are they surviving, um, and who's helping them to survive uh, around the globe. Um, So I want to start off, and if you want to call in, the call-in number is 646-929-0368. I want to start off with Thomas. 
how did you get involved in working to save the poor? Why did you decide to do that? Well, uh, I mean, I used to work for the United Nations for about 15 years, and I traveled the globe writing reports on the treatment of children around the world. I did so as part of the International Convention on the Rights of the Child. I'm a law professor, and my expertise is children's law, and so that's why I was put on this committee to, in fact, investigate uh, the treatment of kids and, and write reports. And throughout my travels, I, uh, I couldn't help but noticing all of the people in and around the world, particularly, of course, the developing world, that were desperately poor, that were living on the streets or living by a, a, a roadside or living near a river or living under a plastic tent that they put up with the use of just some sticks. Uh, millions and millions of people that seem to be forgotten. They seem to be forgotten by their communities, by their family, by friends, by anyone they may happen to have in their lives. And they were simply existing. And uh, no one seemed to care. No one seemed to look. Uh, and uh, that troubled me, particularly growing up in a society that spends so much time focusing on the rich and the wealthy and the famous and the celebrities of the world and uh, seemed to have forgotten the you know, over a billion people who live on less than a dollar a day and oh, over two billion people who live on less than two dollars a day. So that segment of our population would seem to me to be ignored, and hence I decided to put together a, a foundation to try to help them. Well, this seems like such a daunting uh, matter, and it seems that no matter how much money is being thrown at it, uh, it it's not, is there a dent being made um, because... It just seems like they're still poor today, and I'm 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 44 years old, and it was poor when I was five years old. So help me out here. Yeah, uh, you know there actually has been progress, quite a bit of progress made, particularly in the last 25 years. The United Nations uh, has really put a focus on global poverty. Uh, in the year 2000, they came out with the Millennium Report which uh, set out some targets, development goals, and uh, next year they'll be actually making a report to see how far they've progressed with regards to those development goals. But to give you one example of that, uh, about 20 years ago it was not unusual to hear the statistic that every day 40,000 children were dying uh, of simply not having access to medical care, not being immunized, uh, just being too poor to live. Uh, 40,000 children a day. And today that figure is down to about 23,000 a day. So it's still horrendous, it's still immoral, uh, but nevertheless, uh, progress is being made, uh, although we usually hear the, you know, the horror stories instead of the stories about the wonderful people in the world that are making a difference. Now, Renee, how about you? What's your story here? You got uh, a call from Thomas, you saw Thomas out, um, I mean, you don't, uh, this is not your first, I guess, venture into, um, how would I say, um, the underserved, uh, the forgotten. Um, so talk to me why. why. Why not flowers? Why not fashion? <laughs> <laughs> I shoot that too. Don't get that wrong. But um, okay. well, the Forgotten International was seeking a photojournalist to work on this book. So um, that's how we got connected, Tom and I. But I'm pretty well known for working on projects that shine a light on people who are suffering uh, people who may not have had the ability to illuminate those issues themselves. So this, for me, was a very important um, project to work on. Um, and, you know, as a journalist, 
I try uh, very hard to elevate the public's understanding and compassion to motivate change. And this seemed like um, a really important project to do to work on to do that. Now, um, I was reading in the um, afterward, you were talking about how you were in the med and looking at the photos. Um, again, um, did something happen in your life that made you say, you know what, I need to highlight the underserved? Was there a moment, a day, a time, or you just somehow it clicked one day in your head, you saw, you know, what, what made you actually think that it was important? Well, you know, <laughs> there is no real stellar moment in my life, I hate to say, but, uh, you know, I've always felt, even when I was in college, I studied psychology and, you know, social work and all kinds of things like that. I've always felt like it's just my duty as a, just as a, an individual to help others. And so uh, I just felt like this project would, you know, would be a good one for me, but there was no lightning that hit me um, in my lifetime for this. Yeah, and, and that um, kind of echo, it kind of echoes one of the missions uh, of our foundation, and that's one of the reasons why we were so attracted to, to Renee and her work, is that we believe that everybody has the responsibility to leave this world a, a little bit better for having been here. And, uh, and when we looked at, at her work over the years, we quickly realized that that's one of the things that she cares about as well. Now, how do we define poor? Because, I mean, you go through this in the book, but I would like you to just verbalize it for the audience. I mean, some people think they're poor because they can't get the new car. Some people think they're poor because they can't get shoes. And some people think they're poor because they're living uh, on the street on, you know, an iron bed. How do we define poor, Thomas? Or how do you define poor? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. Poor is a relative term, and depending on who you ask and what their surroundings might be, they may come up with a very different uh, definition of, of who are the poor and, and what do they know about them and how often do they meet them and so on and so forth. But at least in terms of what we wanted to focus in on this book was uh, really a new term that's come out of the United Nations uh, about, uh, oh, 15 years ago. Uh, the term is called extreme poverty. Now, you can find extreme poverty even here in the United States, but it's, it's very, very easy to find extreme poverty, particularly in the developing world. And extreme poverty doesn't really necessarily set a level, for example, living less than a dollar a day or a dollar twenty-five a day. It's really those people who live on the edge, who are so poor, who have so limited access to the kinds of things that we need, the basic needs, medical care, education, so on and so forth, uh, that if anything goes wrong in their life, if they lose a breadwinner to a disease or, uh, or a famine or uh, an accident or what have you, the whole family uh, falls into great risk and many people may die as a result. So um, it, it's these individuals who live on the edge of life and death largely because of their poverty that we focus in on in, in the book. Now, that doesn't mean that the book is, is full of sadness and full of death or anything like that. Many of the people who live in extreme poverty are, in fact, quite, uh, I wouldn't say happy, but pleased with their life. They spend a lot of time laughing and, and running around and, and doing all of those things that people who have at least some joy in their life do. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they are at extreme risk. Now, Renee, um how do you decide to take a photo of someone? Um, there's so many people 
around um, what is your decision? Is it the light? Is it time of day? Is it something they're holding? Do they ask you and you say, okay, I'll take your photo? Um, how did you decide on the photos that were included in this book? Well, it started with a lot of research before we even actually got into the countries to um, decide and try to figure out how to best represent um, a very diverse uh, um, uh, you know, uh, group of people to uh, get this uh, uh, point, the point across. So we traveled um, throughout all uh, ten countries, and each country, of course, was different. And um, we also had a layer of, of, of social workers and um, interpreters that we had to work through who actually helped us um, define and find different stories in those countries who may have had a connection with some of the people that we did photograph. And I also walked the streets and looked for stories. So um, it was a little bit of a collaboration of both things that we did to uh, find the, the people that are in this book. But it was really about making a connection with these people and being able to make photographs so that you could imagine yourself in these people's shoes. And that's what was behind, in the back of my head the entire time I was shooting this project was, how can I make a connection so people are pulled into these images instead of walk away and don't look at them? One of the other myths um, in terms of uh, things that will help um, things, I'm sorry, things related to being poor about women and children and that you mentioned about we think more women are in the world than there are men, but there are actually more men. Can you elaborate on that issue, Thomas? Well, uh, And why there are more men? Because, there's, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why. Right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there's a variety of reasons for that, but uh, we often think that just the opposite is true. But, in fact, one of the reasons why uh, it th things end up that way is that actually Mother Nature has created it that way, that if for every 100 women or girls that are born, approximately 105 boys are born. So if everything else was left the same, if we didn't tamper with uh, 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 various kinds of abortions that take place that, uh, of course, discriminate against women, uh, the boys are in fact favored, particularly in Asia, that uh, if everything else was left the same, there would still be this natural inclination for boys to be born than girls. Now, because of war, because more men are lost in war, because men don't take care of themselves as well as women, uh, men die younger, so on and so forth, by the end of the day, by the end of the year, by the end of one's lifespan, uh, actually there are more women in the world than men if you're just looking at the population of over 50. So uh, it, it, it ends up pretty close, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, it's an in interesting uh, demographic to look at. One of the things that people may not uh, be aware of is the issue of selective um, abortions that are happening around the globe that also make more men um, the, the happening of more men um, because they choose to abort the girl because the girl, they would have to pay a dowry. The girl cannot carry the name on, you mentioned. Um, yeah. And this, this brings me to the issue of violence against women. Yeah. I think it, I mean, that's starting before they even got out into the world. That, that to me, is a form of violence against women. Exactly, and if we just look at the population in Southeast Asia, we look at India, we look at Southeast Asia, we look at the Philippines, uh, and of course China, 
there are presently 160 million missing women, uh, and that's because of exactly what you mentioned, the inclination to uh, 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 abort and even kill infants who have to be girls. So, uh, and this has been going on for about 40 years now. And so uh, uh, what it's doing to the female population, uh, particularly in that part of the world, is really horrendous. Men are now uh, seeking out women from other countries because it's more and more difficult to find women their age for, uh, for marriage purposes. And when we're talking about 160 million missing women, uh, that's an awful lot of people that didn't get a chance to live simply because of their gender. Renee, what was something shocking that you learned you didn't know before you started this journey? Well, I have traveled um, a lot to other countries before this journey, but what struck me was just, you know, because we I did this over the course of, 10 countries, just how universal the extreme poverty is and that, you know, um, how it robs people of the basic necessities of life and, and, and you can't even get out of it without help. I mean, you can't break this cycle without some um, amount of help. And that's what really struck me is that in the United States, we do have a lot of help for people, but in some of these other countries, it's just really non-existent. Well, what do you think we can do? I mean, Renee, this is, like I said, it seems like people keep throwing money and money and money. What, what can we do? I know there's a lot of things in the book. You guys have at each chapter wonderful resources and places people can connect with. Um, but, Renee, what do you think, I mean, what would you tell your friend if they ask, like, well, what should I do today? I mean, well, I, in this book, at the end of every chapter, is a, a great resource uh, to all of the non, a lot of nonprofits and a lot of great philanthropy that's going on. And I mean, you could just start right there by just picking one thing that you know that you're passionate about and volunteer, or you know, if you want, if you have the money, to give the money. But it's not just about giving money. It's also about volunteering and helping and um, going to another country. A lot of people go and volunteer. A lot of seniors go and help. A lot of church groups go. I mean, just everybody having a shared humanity, I think, is what is the important um, piece of helping. Yeah, um, Tom, like I was watching um, – oh, go ahead, sir. I think I'd like to emphasize that one of the things that we're encouraging through this book is is for people with uh, not extraordinary means, but even limited means to get involved. Everybody can do a little bit. And whether you decide to help one individual or one village or one school or one orphanage, uh, it's all doable. Uh, so people shouldn't feel overwhelmed by the extent of poverty in the world, but are willing to take a little baby bite at it and just do their share. If everyone who had the ability to do something, in fact, did something, that would make a world of difference. You know, I gave a talk not too long ago uh, to a group of, um, of women who were mostly attorneys, but some doctors as well. And at the end of the talk, this woman came over to me and thanked me for, for speaking and then wrote me a check. And it was a check for $1,000, which was a, a considerable check considering I didn't know her and she just came to one of my talks. And uh, I thanked her, of course, for the check and I told her that we would put it to good use. And she said, you know, I would only buy another purse. Uh, 
and you could do so much more. And so when people go to the mall and they spend, you know, a lot of money on a fancy dinner or a bottle of wine or a purse or what have you, they should be able to, they, they should think twice about how much it would really take to help uh, an impoverished village or a school or, or a child somewhere in the world. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention is that I watched a video you did, and it was about um, the last, say this was your last lecture you had to give, and uh, this is related to Thomas, and you had mentioned about MLK and um, Mother Teresa. But one of the things MLK quote, uh, and I'm not saying exactly, but it was basically like being of service is, you know, one of the greatest things that you can do. And uh, I always mention on my show about being a mentor to children. I think that's really important um, because I think sometimes people have a lot of gloom in their life, but if they have that one angel in the, that comes into their lives can somehow really turn their life around and make a difference. You know, for example, your story, you were mentioning how you grew up in Spanish Harlem and you didn't have any idea about going to school, but then the young lady who you were smitten with, um, you know, <laughs> You know, kind of piqued your interest, like, wow, maybe I could go to college. Um, I mean, have you seen that in your travels that maybe just one person? Uh, why don't you talk about Miguel Rodriguez, uh, Thomas, at the end of the book? Um, you guys share his story. Well, it, it's in some ways a wonderful story. Uh, Miguel uh, was actually part of the middle class in Lima, Peru. He was a psychiatrist, and to some extent he still is. Uh, but about 25 years ago, his uh, his little son, who was six months at the time, took ill, and he, he picked up his son, and he took his son to the local hospital. And within about three days, his son died. Uh, he then picked up his son again. He walked out of the hospital, and he was taking his son home to uh, to bury him. And on the way out of the hospital, he saw two little street kids dressed in rags, trying, uh, one was very sick and the other was trying to get him into this hospital, which was a private hospital, and so they were not going to admit these children. And in passing these kids, uh, Miguel said to himself that, you know, why didn't God take one of these children instead of mine? And he went to bed that night, and his son came to him in his dream, and his son said, you know, Father, we're all of equal worth. Uh, every child is deserving of love and compassion and caring. And the next day he, he, he woke up, he, he buried his son, and he went down to the street, and they started helping these children who live on the streets all over Lima, Peru. And to make a long story short, he eventually decided to buy a piece of property, uh, build an orphanage, and today he is taking care of almost a 1,000 children in Lima, uh, actually just outside of Lima, He's built a school. He's built a, a medical clinic for them. He has dormitories for them. He has a music center for them. He's been doing this for about 28 years, and he is one of the Mother Teresas of the world, people that we found that are trying to make a difference in the lives of so, so many impoverished people. And so I always walk away from that feeling, you know, that there is hope, uh, that as long as we have individuals like that in the world, uh, they may not be the Bill Gates of the world, but uh, they are individuals who try hard every day to, to improve the lives of others. I, I get the sense that, Joy, that's what you do through, through, your, through your show and through the people that you network with, and so I very much appreciate the work that you do as well. Oh, thank you so much. I try because 
there are so many times in my life that someone has helped me. There's things I just don't know. Every day I learn something new. And there are things that I still today struggle with, uh, and I need help. And then resources come my way. You know, somebody says, oh, call this or do this or go this way. You need other people in your life to succeed. Um, and, and in terms of poverty, as Renee mentioned, there's just no way in the world that you're going to overcome that generational poverty that has, you know, been hanging over your family's head for, you know, five, ten generations um, without some assistance. There's just no way. We can't do it. Um, Renee, I wanted to mention um, one of the things that drew me in one of your photographs or several photographs about the people in Romania. And the reason they drew me in is because I was in Poland and uh, the gypsies, as they were calling them, were in the streets. And, you know, they would play music or they were doing had different crafts. And, you know, I was taught not to look down on people, you know, because mm-hmm. there's always somebody that has more than you. There's always somebody that has less than you. Um, but you're all so human. I, I just, my parents just didn't raise me to, like, be a snob. And, 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 um, uh, but the, the thing that really caught me is how people disdained the Romanians in Poland. It was like, ooh. You know, it made me go back to I'm African-American, and I know how people look at me. And, you know, and when I was in Poland, actually someone called me a nigger when I was in Poland. And, you know, so anyway, just the photographs of the people in Romania and just your explanations of their lives, it just really helped me have even more compassion. You know, really just like, wow, you know, I too sometimes look down on people. I too get away from me. Um, I mean, you have to think about your safety, of course, in any situation, but... Um, I just want to say thank you. It really enlightened me about, and I wish that people in Poland could read, you know, the this, this stories in this book. You know, um, Renee, do you have any comments? I'm sorry, I'm rambling on over here. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, I think what, what, we, what we realize is that we're all more the same than we are different in this world. And that this book, as you look through the, the, the pictures and you see people's daily lives and their intimate relationships with each other, and, you know, there's also this underlying human spirit that transcends even the worst deprivation, I think you get pulled more in and you, get, you have more caring, like what you're talking about right now, and I think it's very important. So, um, yes, the Romanian um, or gypsies, as they don't really like to be called, um, are just like you and me, and, uh, and they should be treated the same as we all should be treated. So I think that your point is really well made. I think one of the issues I like to mention is that people think people who are poor are lazy. <laughs> and uh, most people who are poor are, are not lazy because they have to survive. How are they surviving? They're scrambling. They're, they're running around trying to figure out how to get food, how to get heat, how to get clothing. They're working 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. They're getting their bodies abused, their, their minds abused, uh, all types of abuses to survive. So they're not... Um, not every case. There are people who are lazy, but there are rich people who are lazy and there are poor people who are lazy. But in terms of that myth that poor people are lazy and that's why they're poor, it is so horrible. It really has to be squashed because those people are usually scrambling and working harder than you or I on a daily basis, you know, to survive. Um, uh, Thomas, I wanted to um, wanted you to talk about the issue of play and how important play is because we're running out of time, but I do want you to mention that issue of children and playing. 
Well, that's one of the things, of course, that we captured throughout the world, and uh, and Renee did a great job of taking some photographs of children throughout the world who, uh, I wouldn't say resort to play, but it's just part of their nature. It's an intricate part of being a child, and regardless of where we were at, we found children who would create devices and sticks or run into the, uh, a jungle and get a vine and create a, a jumping rope uh, or simply sing and laugh and clap their hands and, and do whatever it takes to, to enter that joyous part of their spirit. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch, and, and I think the kind of play that we witnessed around the world is probably the best kind of play because it forced kids to be creative. It isn't like you go to the store and buy a toy. Many of these children have never gotten one of those toys. And uh, uh, we felt that it was important to include photographs and stories about these children in the book just to, to bring that part of their humanity to light. Uh, uh, it's, it's why we did it. It's a very important part of uh, uh, children's uh, psychic and spirit, and uh, we wanted to include it. Yeah, I also want to mention it's important for adults to play, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a little serious sometimes, so I think for everyone, no matter whether you're a child or an adult, it's important to play in your life. Today we talked about a lot of serious issues, um, you know, the poor, poverty, um, warfare, um, you know, domestic violence against women. Um, one of the things we didn't get a chance to delve into was the importance of education, and I think that's really a key in pulling somebody out of poverty uh, is education. Um, and but these people in these areas don't have access to it, and they're working. The children are forced to work. So play is very important for our survival. I encourage everybody to play a little today. I want to thank Thomas um, for coming on today and Renee for coming on. Thomas, um, a book um, the Forgotten International, that's the organization you founded, and you're helping other organizations. Um, can you just give us your web address, and is there a phone number people can call if they want to reach out to you? Well, it's really easy to find us on the web. Just Google the Forgotten International. All the information will be there. There's some videos of the work we do around the world, and we certainly welcome uh, any anyone to call us or, or, or send us an email and maybe get involved in some of our work. They're on Facebook, they're on YouTube, they're on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, and I found it here. You can call them at 415-517-6942. Um, again, 415-517-6942. And Renee, real quick, what are you working on next? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to get these pictures to the right forum to motivate change for a little while here. So that's uh, kind of what my focus is at the moment. Now, aren't you guys doing a movie as well, yes? Well, we're working on a documentary project. Uh, we're trying to get it off the ground. We, uh, you know, One of the things that when, Ray, when Renee traveled around the world, we sent the videographer with her. And so we've also captured a lot of the images and the stories on video, and we're in the process of trying to put together a documentary based on these travels. Wow. Well, you guys are doing some great work. Please continue the work. It's much needed. And everybody, two things. One, you can serve. You don't have to have a lot of money. And the second thing is make sure you play a little today um, uh, so that you can live a little longer. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Thomas Nazario. Thank you, Renee Bayer, for coming on today. Well, thank you, Thank you. You guys have a wonderful Saturday, okay? Okay. You take care of yourself. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Renee. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Just got off the phone with Thomas Nazario and Renee Sebayer. They did a wonderful book. They collaborated. A book is called Living on a Dollar a Day, The Lives and Faces of the World's Poor. I'll be giving away a copy. This book is huge. It's almost 400 pages filled with photos and stories and data about the world's poor. And in the book, it also has resources listed in every chapter about where you can go if you want to help. You want to help women. You want to help children. You want to help with education. Um, all these different areas that you may have interest in, well, it's in the book somewhere. Don't think it's not. So you guys, um, remember to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Follow on Facebook. Look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. Or you can tag me on Instagram, that's Saturdays with Joy Keys, and you might win a copy of this book. I'm going to be tweeting shortly uh, with the question, and if you answer properly, you'll win a copy of the book. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, and you guys have a wonderful Saturday. I'm Ellie the Mammoth, and my friend said the sloth knows what being a great parent is all about. I love kids. It starts with believing you can do it. I'm responsible, loving, nurturing. You've got to set a good example. Hey, no biting. Uh-uh. And give a whole lot of love. I love you so much. And you'll get a whole lot back, too. <laughs> the rest? Well, that's up to you. Remember, you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.